So, Alan, I've been thinking about uh, naked people in science fiction a lot lately. <laughs> I mean, people were naked all the time, not like, you know, Barbarella or something. But uh, that is Barbarella. That's the... <laughs> I'm thinking of a, a sexier, a sexier beast than Barbarella. I'm thinking of Chewbacca a lot lately because uh, my son has a Where's the Wookiee book, which is like okay. Where's Waldo for mm-hmm. Chewbacca. And it has a bunch of other Wookiees in it, too, that you can also find. And they all wear clothes except for Chewbacca. That means that Chewbacca's naked. And it's not just like, oh, hey, it's Jabba the Hutt. They're all naked because they're gross slug people. It's Chewbacca knows he's naked, is, is wants to be naked, and everybody else realizes he's naked, too. Uh, well, if I've learned anything from the Life Day special, Rob, I don't have an ending to that. <laughs> well, I think if we've learned anything from Life Day, it's that Carrie Fisher did all the cocaine in 1979. What was the what was the name of that book again? Uh, where Where's the Wookiee? Not Alderaan. <laughs> it's time, time for a thrilling story of romance, adventure, mystery. Anything with an expired copyright. It's time for another Interrupted Tale. Hello, and welcome to the show that usually ends. Another episode of Interrupted Tales, the podcast where my friend and I take turns reading stories to you, the listener, while the other person constantly interrupts. As always, I'm Rob, and this is my friend Alan. Alan, how's it hanging? Low and inappropriate. <laughs> Excellent. I am not well, Alan. Not well at all. I'm sorry to hear that. I have had the flu. I have had two nosebleeds today. And I think I have rickets. How many sexy Japanese girls did you see? <laughs> not enough. Um, but that's not going to keep me away from this week's fantastical tale of science from Amazing Stories, August 1927. It's The Chemical Magnet by Victor Thaddeus. And now, it's time to curl up in your favorite chair and pour a drink while we read you this week's tale. Now that Sherman Hever is dead, and scientists the world over are seeking to rediscover the secret of the extraordinary chemical magnet which brought him wealth and fame, it is only fitting that I, who was his best friend... Uh, and the guy he left his fortune to on his deathbed, and it is totally 100% his real signature. (laughs) Should tell to the public what little I know about his life, his marvelous invention, and his terrible end. An unhappy love affair made of the generous enthusiast a cold-blooded scientist who subordinated every emotion to the workings of his intellect. Sherman Hever talked little, and if he had any dreams beyond those covering the conquest of that hated world of practicality, which, in its greedy reaching out for material prosperity, had cast a blight over his life, no one shall ever know of them. Because when he started telling them to me on his deathbed, I said, 
hold on. Uh, there's something else we need to talk about first. <laughs> what? Sign this? Sure. Of all the men of genius that I have known, Sherman Hever was at least secretive about his own ideas. He seemed to harbor no suspicions that his ideas might be appropriated by others for their own profit. Or perhaps the tremendous difficulties lying in the path of accomplishment made him simply scorn the ability of others to succeed where he might fail. Then again, it might have been that he talked far less freely to others than he did to me. Uh, how would I know? I'm just his biographer. For that, Sherman Hever did like me in a strange, impersonal way. I can have no doubt. I call myself his best friend because I know he had no other. I first met Sherman Hever when he was living in a tumble-down cabin on a beach north of New York City. He was introduced to me in town one day by a mutual acquaintance, and something about his features, I think it must have been the brilliance of his eyes, enlisted my interest immediately. <laughs> yeah, Rob, that was the first thing that interested me in you, too. Your blue eyes. <laughs> Just like Chewy. He was about 35 at the time, tall and thin, with dark, thick hair that fell low over his forehead and straggled down his neck. He wore a shabby, lightweight overcoat and looked generally unkempt. Still, he had a striking personality. He was a libertarian communist, but somehow he made it all work. One felt his frail, undernourished body was over-engined with mind. He seemed burning up with ideas, though he said little. I grew to like Sherman Hever, and after my first visit, I went again as often as I could manage it, without seeming to impose on his hospitality. I'm here. What's cooking? Hey, when I head down to the Regal Beagle tonight, Sherman Hever. <laughs> hey, the Del Vecchio <laughs> twins are in town. <laughs> and, the light, and in the light of subsequent events, those visits of mine to his cabin on that astonishing beach made especially vivid memories. From here to eternity. <laughs> it was an astounding beach. It represented the last small stretch of coast near the great metropolis to hold out against invasion by the summer hordes. Oh, the heathen vacationers. The fall of the great Jersey Empire. <laughs> the cabin was situated among a low ridge of sand dunes separating the ocean from inland waters. Between the dunes and the bay ran a long, narrow spit of marsh. It was because of the ground here was so marshy, and would have to be drained and filled in before any building could be done, that this stretch of beach had remained undeveloped. On either side of it, two miles distant, were large shore resorts. The beach, piled high with great timbers, packing cases, cans, bottles, and other riffraff flung off by the tides, provided an astonishingly wild and disordered appearance. It definitely sounds like one of those deceptive VRBO descriptions. Our rustic cabin enjoys oceanside access to natural wetlands and an astonishingly wild beach that definitely is not a heroin injection site. <laughs> and totally doesn't smell like sewage. At night, in both directions... A million lights trace the distant coastline. To the southwest in clear weather might be seen the fainter glimmer of the Coney Island boardwalk beyond the Rockaways. Here, Sherman Hever lived year-round. Dilapidated in appearance, the cabin was quite snug inside. A chunk stove kept it warm on the coldest days, and wood cost Sherman Hever nothing, as it lay at his very doorstep on the beach in inexhaustible supplies. 
Well, time to throw some more driftwood on the fire. You gotta love that smell of hickory and high tide. Ah. <laughs> Smells like the back of a Long John Silver's. And the dunes held back the strong sea breeze. He bought his stores each week at a fishing station across the bay. Uh, once again, Mr. Sherman Haver, we don't sell flour or toilet paper, so you're just going to have to get creative with that cod. <laughs> is, it, is it dried cod? Mm, it's up to you. <laughs> but on my first visit to this isolated spot, I became curious to know how he solved the problem of water. It seemed bad enough to have to tramp such a distance for food supplies. But how could he ha manage to have so much water at hand? Some kind of urine boiler or dew factory? There was a sufficient supply of water at the cabin, not only for drinking and cooking, but for washing also. Which I get the feeling was not really required. <laughs> I was too interested in talking to Sherman Hever, and noting the equipment of that part of the cabin curtained off from the rest, which he called his laboratory, to wonder about his supply of fresh water. But no sooner was I alone on the train returning to the city than I found myself speculating about that. Oh my God. <laughs> How did we live before smartphones? Oh, oh, I'm sorry, conductor. I was just thinking about my friend's plumbing and must have missed my stop. Oh, Yuma, you say? Well, <laughs> it was a very engrossing imagination. <laughs> Did Sherman ever have a well? I dismiss this conjecture as absurd, since water from any well sunk in those sand dunes would certainly be quite undrinkable. But where did he get it? Suddenly I remembered that the same problem must have existed for the old hermit, who had been the cabin's previous inhabitant. Oh, well then, it must have been ancient astronauts, or a, I don't know, a cistern? This convinced me that Whatever the problem solution might be, it could not be very mysterious. All right, great. <laughs> hey, you, you want a nap, Rob? I, I want right. a nap. Uh, tune in next time. Hey, another interrupted. Okay, oh. all right, cut. All right. <clears throat> Still, I was puzzled, especially when on my next visit, I noticed that Sherman Hever, who happened to be over on the mainland laying in supplies when I arrived, was taking back nothing but provisions. Later in the cabin, I mentioned the water problem to him. Yes, water was old Martin's problem, said Sherman Hever. He had to bring it over from the mainland, as I did at the beginning. It was the main reason he had for leaving here. That and the endless beach garbage, kind of a terrible place to live, really. <laughs> of course, he added, after a moment's pause. I don't have that problem anymore. The last few words he said willingly and his expression increased my interest. How's that? I asked. Have you found a newer place to get it? Like a Target Express, or...? <laughs> Is there a Costco nearby? I don't get it, he answered. I make it. Oh, I exclaimed with a laugh at my own foolishness. Of course, you distill it. Sherman Hever smiled again. No, he said. I don't distill it, but I make it just the same. Would you like to watch me make water? 
he got up to open <laughs> he got up to open the chunk stove and throw in another piece of wood. Woo, look at it go. Oh, that one must have been at least part tire. Outside a strong raw wind was blowing, rattling the sashes of one of the small windows. Even though you could not see it, you sensed that vast expanse of nearby ocean over which the gale was driving. And I asked, you make it out of ocean water? Yes, out of ocean water, he replied. No, I make it out of dirty sand and crumpled Dasani bottles, idiot. Of course I make it out of ocean water. (laughs) He said nothing more at the time. Subsequently, when through our general conversations I had gotten an idea of the nature of his investigations, he was less reserved. I knew then that he had delved very profoundly into the nature of chemical reactions, particularly those of solubility. He had the sort of mind that sees things always from the imaginative viewpoint, that never allows imagination to become smothered beneath technical and mathematical detail. Like Richard Feynman or Jenny McCarthy. He was able to arrive at an actual picture of molecular processes, and for this reason he was able to make his tremendous discoveries. One day, drawing back from the curtain of his laboratory, he picked up a beaker, filled it with water, and asked me to drop some table salt into it. When I had done so, he said, That wasn't much trouble, was it? But what a lot of trouble to get that salt back again. I mean, by evaporation. There should be an easier way, shouldn't there? (laughs) This guy, the ShamWow inventor? (laughs) It's got to be an easier way. I replied I thought there should be. Sherman Hever now placed a clean sheet of white paper on the bench. On the paper, he put a handful of sand that he had picked up outside. With the sand, he mixed mixed up several pinches of iron filings. Now, he asked, do you know of any easy way of getting those filings back again? Well, I said, if you had a magnet... Or an etch-a-sketch. <laughs> One of those beard things. Oh, Harry uh, Harry. Harry Harry, yeah, sure. Yeah. Exactly! He produced one and drew the filings out of the sand, scraping them off the magnet into a little separate pile. Then he looked at me. By my process, I can draw salts out of water just as easily as that magnet draws iron filings out of the sand. I can extract salts and toxins. All we have to do is steam your vagina and it comes right out. (laughs) What? That's not part of the experiment. We just have to do that, so let's get ready. Uh, Listen, I I had a talk with Gwyneth, and she (laughs) thinks it's a fabulous idea. Oh, yeah, I saw that in Goof. It's good stuff, good stuff. Let's say I've invented a chemical magnet. He smiled to himself and added, That's an inaccurate way of putting it, of course, but it gives the imagination something to feed on, which is the main thing. What I have devised is a way of getting salts out of water without having to use any energy. Just crystals. No heat under boilers. No electric current. As simple as that, he snapped his fingers. And why shouldn't it be easy? There's very little energy change when most salts are dissolved in water. In fact, what energy change there is, is usually to the good. 
The water is cooled off a little by the addition of the salt, so that there should be energy given to it, not taken, when you get the salt back, and there is. Uh, well, actually, only some salts result in an endothermic process when dissolved in water, but I, but I mean, I don't mean to argue with the chief science guy of Garbage Beach. <laughs> hey, he had a very prestigious position. The last, uh, the last person to have that was a seagull, all right? He glanced at one corner of his laboratory, where there stood a queer, closet-like arrangement with pipes leading in and out, evidently a casing around some concealed apparatus. Want to see it work? he asked. I nodded. Okay, then. Go pee-pee right into that funnel. <laughs> Go on. It's all in the name of pseudoscience. Pee-pee <laughs> for science. I had noticed that corner of the laboratory before, and half-guessed its significance. But this was the first time Sherman Hever had offered any information about it. Now he picked up a pail full of seawater and poured it into a large funnel that protruded upwards from the wooden casing. When the water had all vanished into the interior, he came around to the front of the casing and turned a valve. A moment later, a bucket he had placed on the floor began filling up. Sherman Hever, lifting the bucket so that the water would flow noiselessly down the side, motioned me to listen. I heard in the interior of the apparatus a soft, continuous sound, similar to that which might be made by tiny grains of something slipping down a chute. Now, I want to assure you that this apparatus does not contain a baby gelatinous cube, and it most definitely is not drinking the salt water and pissing out a clear substance that tastes like tap water. I wish I didn't have to keep saying it, but, you know, ugly rumors. You're going to tell me that's what Dasani is, aren't you? No, that's smart water. <laughs> when the flow of water had stopped, the bucket being nearly full, Sherman Hever lifted a dipper full of it to my lips. It was as fresh, pure water as I had ever tasted. At the same moment, he held up for my inspection a miniature bin that he had drawn out of the interior of his apparatus. Its floor was covered with several inches of a whitish salt. Pure cocaine. The ocean's full of it. <laughs> We're going to make a billion. <laughs> now, he said, pouring the contents of the little bin into the bucket of fresh water, you see before you the pail full of seawater again. The whole process had taken so short a time, scarcely more than a couple of minutes, and its operation had been so noiseless, no sound coming from the interior of the machine, except that little whispering noise made by the settling salt, that I could only stand amazed. You mean to say, I exclaimed, that that water I drank, and I looked at what remained in the dipper, was some of this seawater, and that salt you showed me. What with the, and the, oh, oh, Dr. Schermenhaver, I seem to have the vapors. It, <laughs> Dr. Schermenhaver, you're beautiful. <laughs> it was, answered Schermenhaver, the very same seawater. My apparatus in here, he tapped the wooden casing, had simply divided it up into its two components, the pure water and the dissolved salts. And over here is a third bin for fish poop, which makes about 42% of it. And it got it out in all that short time? Sherman Hever smiled at the incredulity in my face. Then he frowned. Yes, it got it all out, and that's the trouble. 
That water you tasted was pure as rainwater, but my process won't select yet. It pulls salts and suspended matter out in one lot. The hardest part of my job, that of developing selective attraction for the various chemicals in solution, in the same way you might have different magnets for iron, copper, silver, gold, and so on, is still before me. Yeah, but there's no such thing as a gold magnet. Well, maybe Miranda Kerr. <laughs> Indeed. I don't know whether I'll ever be able to solve that problem. And if I don't... His brilliant, feverish eyes stared straight into mine, and I read in them the end of the sentence, that if he didn't, all the knowledge he had acquired thus far would die with him. This was the thing that astounded me. Once I realized Sherman Hever's invention actually would extract salts from solution with such ease, it seemed to me the most marvelous scientific achievement of the century. If he stopped at this point, he had only to commercialize his process to make an immense fortune for himself. Or, you know, freely allow every sea-bordering nation in the world access to unlimited clean water, but you're right, let's make sure we patent this. <laughs> But Sherman Hever seemed to think he had accomplished nothing as yet. His whole being was wrapped up in making the process the entirely perfect thing he had dreamed it. There, he would exclaim, gesturing dramatically toward the leagues of ocean. Just look at the immensity of it. A greater storehouse of minerals than you'll find in all of the mines of the earth put together. It's like a gross, foamy Fort Knox. <laughs> Full of things creeping around, and lobsters. Ugh. All the metallic and non-metallic elements in it of some, in some form or shape. Vast mother ocean, covering the greater portion of our planet, miles deep in places, and into which sooner or later everything gets washed. Dirt? Blood? My dead wife's mangled corpse? But perhaps I've said too much about what can be found in the ocean. <laughs> All the metals, even one of the most precious, gold. Yes, gold in undreamed of quantities. Scarcely even a trace by analysis, but tons and tons when you have an inexhaustible reservoir to comb it out of, when the whole ocean is your mine. That word gold would make his eyes take on a greater brilliance. I could see he craved power, wanted it more than anything in the world. Well, obviously more than he... Craves a backyard free of used condoms. <laughs> More than three years had passed now since I first met Sherman Hever, and he was working night and day to overcome that problem of selection and also to speed up his process of extraction. For, miraculously quick as this seemed to me, it was not nearly quick enough to suit Sherman Hever. He, exclaimed how, he explained how, with the millions of tons of seawater he would have to run through his apparatus, in order to get appreciable amounts of the precious chemicals he wanted most, there could not, if it was to be a success, be any appreciable delay in the free flow of the current. Well, stop thinking about baseball then. At present, though he had greatly perfected the extraction during the past few years, the separation imposed a small but definite drag on the moving liquid. This he was seeking to eliminate. More than once during this period... I doubted Sherman Hever's sanity. Uh, but not his mental competency to be of sound mind 
when he made changes to his will. I want to be clear on that point. (laughs) Haggard and wild-eyed, his unkempt hair falling around his face, his ragged clothes flapping on his thin body, he had at times a positively sinister air. Watching him as he paced the beach, muttering to himself and casting hungry glances seawards, I wondered if it was really if he was really in his right mind. With all that driftwood piled chaotically on the sand around him, he had the appearance of a lone survivor, of some tremendous wreck, driven crazy by solitude and privation, desperately watching the horizon for a sign of smoke or sail. Um you know the train back to Grand Central is like 30 feet away, right? I mean, how do you think I get here every Tuesday? Years later, I was to watch him pacing in a similar manner another far distant beach. A beach more white and dazzling than this one. The very calm of whose tropic beauty was to make more dreadful that awful scene of Sherman Hever's final disintegration. Then, Sherman Hever... The man who has made his dreams come true, too true, alas, did really go mad. It occurred to me sometimes that this story of a chemical magnet might be only his madness. For remember that while I saw him put seawater into the machine and take fresh water and salt out, his word was my only proof that the latter were the products of the former. Well, when the $20 bill-making machine he sold me stopped working, he said it would take another $15,000 to charge up its electropots. And I hear electropots are very expensive. <laughs> Though Sherman Hever did not hesitate to discuss with me the general theories underlying his investigations, he never spoke of the details of his process. He frequently left the curtains of his laboratory undrawn so that he could talk to me as he worked, but at these times, the apparatus was always hidden from view by its, by its wooden casing, and he was obviously only engaged in experiments of minor importance whenever he was working on the apparatus itself, which I could tell by the sound of the casing being dragged aside. The curtains were always drawn and tied. <laughs> it sounds really secret. Everything what? hidden behind an impenetrable layer of gingham. <laughs> It's a cur- it's a science curtain, Alan. You can't break the science curtain. I began to wonder if inside that casing there really was any apparatus, or whether it was only a trick arrangement with which Sherman Hever oh, Sherman Hever's overstrained mind practiced a grotesque self-deception. I began to suspect he was just a laundering operation for converting clear Pepsi to seven up. That's why it's the uncola, Alan. Come on, get with that. Deep state. At last, curiosity getting the better of all sense of decency, I took advantage of a moment when he had gone to the ocean for water to slip into the laboratory and examine the machine. Sherman Hever had been in the laboratory for over an hour with the curtains drawn. <laughs> he had evidently had to interrupt an experiment to fetch more water, for he had left hurriedly, in his haste failing to fasten the curtains. Oh, no, what a security <laughs> lab. So, you know, I really hope some white hat hacker gets to it first with a, a ribbon. <laughs> I guess I should find the, the machine exposed to view. If there was any, and I was right, the casing, hinged at the back, stood open, revealing a short, thick cylinder of metal, like a fat water boiler, Except for this cylinder, and the pipes leading in and out, the space inside the casing was absolutely empty. On the cylinder a warning, 
Hands off. Danger. Was painted in large red letters. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Hermits... Hermits are really known to label their stuff for passers-by. <laughs> and there was a large stack of magazines with large red letters, hands off, porn. <laughs> Staring at the cylinder, I realized I hadn't learned much. Mm, dyslexia. <laughs> Either the cylinder was empty, or within it was safely concealed all the vital mechanism of Sherman Hever's process. Uh, so I definitely won't be describing it in any detail that would require scientific explanation. <laughs> and the cylinder apparently had no opening through which the eye could penetrate its interior. Then I noticed something I had missed at the first glance. A small shutter at the top, which evidently protected just such an observation point as I was in search of. Reckless of the red warning on the cylinder, I reached out to draw the shutter aside at the same time stooping to put my eye to the opening. Uh, now, let me just look and see if there is any concentrated, visible radioactivity in there. <laughs> it's the first, first step of scientists take a good look for radiation. My hand was grasped in midair. Sherman Hever stood beside me. He had seen me through the window and returned quietly. Instead of being angry, as I expected... He brushed aside my confusion and apologies with the mere remark, You wouldn't have discovered anything, and you might have killed yourself. Or maybe gotten superpowers. I want to leave it open for interpretation. He closed the casing until I had left the laboratory, then drew the curtains behind me and resumed his experiment. He seemed to understand perfectly that no motive worse than curiosity had prompted me to violate his hospitality. This incident, indeed, led him to speak more freely about his process than he had done before. He explained how, like the French 75mm field piece, the secret of whose recoil mechanism is safeguarded against detection by the mechanism blowing up and destroying itself as soon as tampered with by inexpert hands, his invention would also explode if anyone but himself tried to examine it. Yes, it's a complicated biometric security measure that works on smell it only responds to the odor of seaweed and loneliness <laughs> he seemed to read my thoughts about the curious simplicity of what i had seen only that cylinder with pipes leading in and out you were surprised because you saw nothing complicated he said you expected the astonishing and the intricate why weren't there any wires suggesting electricity um I know, because it runs on dilithium. <laughs> no. Mm, vegetable oil? Closer. Well, inside that cylinder it isn't, of course. Quite so simple as it is on the outside. But you'd be surprised if you knew what simple apparatus the cylinder does contain, nevertheless. Simple to your way of thinking, that is. Simple and empty in just the same way that the interior of an automobile would look simple and empty to a person of olden times, who was hunting everywhere for the horse that made the automobile move. Simple and empty as an electric wire carrying current on a million-volt circuit would seem to people who didn't know anything about electricity, who never dreamed what power was flowing silently along that little wire. Simple like condescendingly explaining to an idiot how stupid he is. Now, who's the idiot, do you want to guess? <laughs> My process is simple because it depends on an entirely new principle. 
Forget Mr. Belding and prepare to have your mind blown as I introduce the star of the forthcoming feature film, Back to the Bell, Principal Zach Morris. Whoa, 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 whoa. Freeze. I was principal? Nice. Thank you. It's a principle is different from any other in the world, as, for instance, in the field of vision, the color red is different from the color blue. And that's about all I can tell you about it, he finished with a smile. Except from our previous talks, you may have been able to guess that it's a principle depending, not unlike electricity, upon the mysterious laws which control atomic and molecular structure. For which I have found a remarkable proof that is... Too long to fit in the podcast notes. His lips twitched as he smiled. It was one of our last talks together before he went away. Sherman Hever had grown very thin and haggard. He was experimenting against time, for he had only had a few months longer to live in the cabin. At last, the stretch of beach so long neglected by development companies was to be improved. Well, the Yakuza finally got control of the empty lot. If you were thinking of when you should jump into the Yakuza game series, Rob, and you were thinking <laughs> a prequel, no, that's probably not right. You know what? It's surprisingly great jumping off point. Good. A great dredge had arrived on the bayside and was filling in the land. Surveyors were staking out the marsh into streets and lots. All right, let's see. This will be Leech Street, and <laughs> over there, Soggy Bottom Lane. And, of course, the main drag will be Trenchfoot Boulevard. (laughs) A line of telegraph poles sprang up. Sherman Hever watched these operations with a dark look of hate. It was the world of practicality pursuing him, even into the solitude of his wild home, driving him out. He had been given notice by the development company that he could not occupy the land later than the beginning of the next summer. Wow, this prequel to the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy really dropped a lot of the humor you find in the original (laughs) well that seems as good a time as any to take a break alan been thinking about asking our listeners popping them the big question okay it's it's not an easy one i think now is the time for us to both get on our knees and look deep deep into our listeners ears and what and ask them sincerely and with conviction will you rate and review us on itunes okay we're on our knees where are their ears (laughs) they're gonna have to bend down too everyone get on your knees okay wait a minute i don't think we want to ask our (laughs) listeners to do that you know what i think we do want to ask them to do what is to please go to itunes rate and review the podcast if you like what we do help us out it's free for you it's a great thing for us rob can you say anything else without making inappropriate requests from our audience you can rate and review us on any of the other services too google play they're awesome whether you do it on your knees or not i leave it up to you that's your business thank you folks we appreciate it He has lived here for six years. Has he actually accomplished anything during this period? Uh, sorry, which senator are we talking about? (laughs) 
Take a pick. Oh, those clowns in Washington. Am I right? Oh my gosh, Congress. Are you... Wow, they're the... Not, they're not the good people. They're, ah. the, they're the other type. Those, those guys. I used to ask myself, the men working for the development company plainly regarded him as a crazy freak. And I wondered if they weren't right. Did he really have anything to show for the labor of all these years? Or was he simply a man obsessed with an idea? Then one day, the impossible happened. Anna Ferris and Chris Pratt got back together? I mean, we were all hoping it would happen, but... Oh, it's my dream come true. When I arrived at the cabin, Sherman Hever told me he had inherited a fortune. A rich uncle, on his father's side, Sherman Hever was of German descent, on his mother's Irish, had just died and left his wealth to him. Oh, Sherman. Oh, now don't be telling me the Sherman Evers tent good Irish folk. <laughs> Sherman, Hever to- Sherman Hever told me the news without excitement. I confess I would have doubted his word, except that the arrival of a stout lawyer, puffing from the exertion of the long trudge, and with his shoes full of sand, supplied an incontrovertible incontro- tr- proof. I thought then that Sherman Hever's troubles were over, but the loss of the cabin would be of no importance to him, as he had now had the means to equip a more comfortable laboratory in a far more convenient location. But Sherman Hever stayed on into the cabin, apparently determined to wind up his investigations where he had started them. I mean, what a, what a hassle to move. I've got my whole fish cupboard and bucket and curtains you can't find good curtains these days i mean they don't even make roman blinds anymore (laughs) perhaps the fact that good fortune had come his way only when he could almost do without it made him the more bitter his glances in the direction of that big dredge busily filling in the swamp of those steam shovels tearing at the sand dunes held the same personal antagonism why i ought it just this one's for john henry yeah but one day when i visited him he seemed calmer than ever that i had seen him before and as the launch was carrying me away he called after me in a peculiar tone that seemed to carry with it a strange presentiment well goodbye it was the last time i was to see sherman heifer for many months When I next visited the island, he was gone. The abandoned cabin was being torn down by workmen who speculated jokingly on the use of that had been made of the fragments of apparatus and glassware left behind. Uh, yeah, he probably, I don't know, drank stuff out of it. (laughs) Yeah, good good one, Tommy. (laughs) The surveyors were shooting the line of a road that would pass straight through the site of the cabin. Watching it crumbling beneath the blows of sledge and hammer, I got a sudden, sharp sense of loss. I walked along the beach, picking my way among the debris cast up by the sea, wondering if Sherman Hever would write, or if he had gone out of my life forever. Every time I pass by a pile of broken glass covered with dried cuttlefish guts, I'll think of you, Sherman Hever. (laughs) The wind will cry, Sherman Hever. So two years went by. Meanwhile, 
All my suspicions about the non-existence of his chemical magnet, as he had called it, seemed confirmed. I watched the newspapers and scientific journals for some startling report of the great new discovery. I revisited the island and its progressive appearance. Sidewalks were already down, and carpenters were hammering on summer cottages everywhere. Made the past seem a dream. Here comes the gentrification of polluted beaches, pushing out all the hermit crabs who can't afford the property taxes. <laughs> I remembered that last glimpse of Sherman Hever, standing on the shore growing smaller as the launch sped for the mainland, and I felt a little hurt that that casual goodbye had been the only warning given me of his departure. And more than once, the absurdity of his having accomplished anything momentous in that makeshift little building by the sea occurred to me, though at the same time I could not but recall that the early investigations of Steinmetz and other great scientists had been conducted in equally humble surroundings. Mm, equally humble, but considerably cleaner surroundings. <laughs> During this period of silence, I had in my keeping one little thing to give reality to the vanished Sherman Hever and his splendid aspirations. It was a small scrap of paper, the beginning of a letter I had found in the seagrass on that morning when the cabin was being torn down. On it were the words... Moving notes. One, don't pack away all the underwear, leave one pair out. Mm. Check. Mm. Two, leave keys for the demolition crew on the table. Check. Three, don't forget to disarm incredibly dangerous cylinder. Mm, no check, but I'm sure he remembered. <laughs> Dear Anne, at last, after all these years, I have... The writing was Sherman Hevers, and he had evidently been unable to go any further, or else had discarded and thrown away this first attempt at a letter to the woman who had rejected his love... It was about four years after Sherman Hever's disappearance that I suddenly found his name on everyone's lips. Hey, everyone, did you hear about Sherman Hever? Sh Sherman Hever? Hey, we don't have to drink salt water anymore. <laughs> we don't have to. We still can. Well, listen, hey, prohibition's over, man. <laughs> Almost overnight, it seemed, he had acquired international renown. The story of his marvelous chemical discoveries leaped to the front page of the newspapers. I read of the huge plants he had built, both on the east and west coasts, which now, by some extraordinary secret process, were producing in abundance almost every known chemical. Yes, even 20 mule team borax. They don't have to make it from mules anymore. <laughs> you know... I, think I liked it better when they did make it for mules. It, well, they they throw in a couple mules just to make people rem reminisce. They know their audience. They know their audience. Right. The mules come on last in the ingredient list, so it's probably just like a tiny bit. Oh, it's Trace Mule. Trace Mule at best. <laughs> so, but they, it's enough mule that the government has to make them put it on there, just in case anyone's allergic to mule. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the four years of delay he had apparently utilized to adapt his process to large-scale production. At any rate, the name Sherman Hever was now certainly one for the man in the street to conjure with. It was rumored he had actually found a way of transmuting seawater into gold. 
Oh, no, don't fall for that. I sent in my grandma's vintage water to waterforgold.com, and they said it was only gold-plated water and wasn't worth the shipping cost to return it back to me. That's how they get you. It was said this Sherman Hever was on his way to becoming the richest man in the world. The events of the next few years are history, so I shall pass over them briefly. We all remember Sherman Hever's first great industrial triumph, his breaking up of the potash monopoly, which, after the World War, had reverted to the Cali Syndicate. The Cali Syndicate? Are they part of Kanja Club? <laughs> or Culture Club? I don't know. One of them. <laughs> Cali Ma Shakti Syndicate. How Sherman Hever's American plant supplied potash to the home markets at half the price of the foreign product imported from the great Strasfurt deposits. Oh, finally, my dwarf's plump helmet farms will be overflowing. <laughs> at last. His development of those strange and stupendous floating hulks, known as the Magnet Fleet, which manufactured their cargoes of precious chemicals from ocean water on the journey between ports. What? No, no, guys, just stay here and make the stuff. Why do you need to keep going back and forth? You're on the water. We make it from the water. Oh, you know, our life, our love, and the lady is the sea. Yeah, well, there you go. How Germany's preeminence in the field of industrial chemistry waned. All that nation's achievements in building up the synthetic dye industry fading to nothing beside the colossal achievements of the young American scientist. Oh, he's the Jesse Owens of Aniline Blue. <laughs> Revol the revolutionary shift of industry from land to ocean, beginning a new epoch in the history of civilization, with the radical alterations it necessitated in the whole economic life of the world. See, Rob, I told you buying a barony on sea land would be worth it someday. <laughs> The award to Sherman Hever of the Nobel Prize and his rejection of it. The abortive attempt of the nations to combat Sherman Hever's accumulation of ocean gold by establishing an international paper currency. Uh, yeah, can you change me 13 ruble shillings for 3,000 peso francs? Hey, 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 buddy, read the sign. Cashier only carries 20 krona pounds. <laughs> the sharp drop in worldwide prosperity as soon as Sherman Hever ordered production to cease at all his plants and popular opinion forcing the powers to come to terms. The passing of poverty everywhere, as the hitherto untouched resources of the ocean. That ocean which covers three-fourths of the Earth's surface, and has a volume of 315 million cubic miles. Hold on, sorry. Um, can you read that in Carta Entry one more time for me? <laughs> began to be exploited on a gigantic scale. And Sherman Hever's prestige and power increased until he was virtually dictator of world affairs. We were told of the many deaths resulting from attempts to discover the secret of his chemical magnet. How the Neptune, the largest vessel in the magnet fleet, tampered with by engineers seeking to uncover the mystery of its vital operations, blew up in dock at Hoboken, killing a hundred men and wrecking the nearby piers. Oh, Morgans, Anthonys, the whole lot of them. It was... Terrible tragedy. Really? That that terrible? Well, the Anthony's, I guess. <laughs> All this, I say, has become history. Let me come then without further delay to that final and fatal period of Sherman Hever's career in which I was again destined to have a share. 
throughout the years of his success. Our meetings had been few, but we kept in touch with each other. Hey, how's it going? Um, now that you're a god emperor, have you given any more thought to, I don't know, occasional showering? <laughs> when I had at last seen his name in the papers, after that long interval of silence, I met Sherman Hever in New York City. He told me very briefly how busy he had been commercializing his process and sketched some of his future plans. Here's a giant fountain of me wading in the ocean and giving forth a rushing stream of life-nurturing clean water. As you can see, it's done in the classical style. <laughs> Later, we met again. You know what I mean, right? I know exactly what you're Okay. Thinking. You know where the, the, the nurturing clean water comes, right? <laughs> I, I figured it out. Okay. It's, it's his penis, right? What? <laughs> Later, we met that's again. The, in New that's the life spout. <laughs> Come, suckle for my life spout. No, 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 okay. <laughs> Later, we met again in New York several times. Also in London, Paris, and Berlin. Needless to say, every minute of Sherman Hever's time during these years was priceless. His waiting rooms were thronged with financiers, scientists, and reporters requesting an interview. Um, Mr. Sherman Haven, yes. Uh, Nathan First, Swiss News Herald. So we're just fucked then, right? <laughs> no comment. But I had only to give my name in order to be admitted immediately. There was a look of genuine pleasure on his face as, putting aside for the first time being... The enormous weight of business resting on his shoulders, he rose to greet me. With the world at his feet, he seemed to regret his past obscurity, to long to be able to return to it. Oh, to be on that beach again, tiptoeing around the hypodermic needles, the rich smell of Hudson River wastewater lapping at the sands. <laughs> the good old days. Once, glancing at me strangely, his eyes flashing their old excitement, he started to make some suggestion, but after a few words, broke off to a mutter. No, I'm not quite ready yet. I must wait a little longer. Then one day I received that memorable telegram requesting me to come immediately to San Francisco, and a week later I was on Sherman Hever's yacht, with him bound for that lovely little island of the Pacific, which fate had decreed only one of us should ever leave alive. I feel like that's just a little bit lacking in dramatic tension. I, I wonder which one it'll be. <laughs> Arrive, arrived at the island, an exquisite pearl of tropical beauty, with great feathery palms swaying high in the sky over a white beach, terminating in a coral reef, where the surf thundered night and day, the yacht was dismissed. The captain receiving orders to proceed to Honolulu. A date several months distant, was set for the yacht's return to the island. Mm, I thought that was a little bit weird, but when I tried to talk about it to the other 99 vacationers he had brought to the island, they just grabbed knives and axes and ran off. <laughs> I feel like I missed an announcement. <laughs> a comfortable bungalow, well stocked with provisions, had been built on the island, but Sherman Hever and myself were the only inhabitants. Uh, yeah, you, uh, you look a little surprised. 
Oh, okay. I, I see. I think they forgot a comma in the telegram. Come to my desert island Friday. See, right there at the, at the end, after island, before the Friday. Y- you get it now. <laughs> Anchored off the island was a floating laboratory. In general design, like a miniature vessel of the Magnet Fleet which Sherman Hever inspected on the first day of our arrival. That he had come to this remote spot to push his investigations into some mysterious realm of science, which even his genius had not yet explored, was known to me by now. But the exact nature of this research he had not told me. I'm going to extract all the gold from the air. Oh. (laughs) So derivative. This guy's only got one idea. I know. I could only guess from his suppressed excitement during the cruise that he considered all his previous discoveries of negligible importance compared with those he was now about to attempt. Once settled on the island, he was soon spending all his hours in a floating laboratory. At the beginning, I was allowed to come aboard with him, but a day came when he put a stop to my visits. And the only restaurant on the island was a Margaritaville. And if I hear Cheeseburger in Paradise one more time, so help me. <laughs> it was about this time that Sherman Hever, while we sat together on the veranda of the bungalow, gave me my first cue to the problem he was working on. After briefly recapitulating his past accomplishments, the invention of the first chemical magnet that indiscriminately drew all salts out of solution, Later, the perfection of the process to leave in solution the sodium chloride of little value and only draw out the more precious potassium, iron, copper, aluminum, nickel, lead, barium, manganese, silver, and gold salts, the iodine compounds, phosphates, and radioactive materials. The tileumor, the latinum, the naquada. Um, we leave the midichlorians in. No one really wants that. <laughs> and those not in a mixed mass but each chemical pulled separately out of solution by its own individual magnet. In a pure state, he came to his latest idea, that of developing a chemical magnet of super strength, which would be capable of dragging out of seawater hitherto unknown chemicals, chemicals of which the ocean held only such an infinitesimal trace that no ordinary method of analysis could detect them. Like the tears of a mother from the Azores, which is a joke from a future episode of the podcast that gets called back to in this, a previously recorded episode. It's the magic of the internet. Stay tuned, everyone. Chemicals, said Sherman Hever, which may be tremendously more powerful and mysterious than the radioactive minerals, and which may be possessed of amazingly new and vital properties, which may, who knows, have actually led to the origin of... What? Navi sex? Tell me, I can handle it. It involves those panther things, right? (laughs) He broke off. At the time, I did not grasp the true meaning of what he said. I only had a vague but distinct sense of danger. Perhaps it was the warmth of the tropic night and Sherman Hever's glowing eyes close to mine, the black outlines against the starlit sky of those tall palms, reminiscent of days when the whole of the earth was a vast, fecund jungle. Oh, right. Right. I forgot about his eyes. I can be your Anne tonight, Sherman Hever. Sorry. Actually, did we get to a first-name basis? 
I'm not sure I actually know it. It's maybe a little too late to ask now. It's just uncomfortable at this point. Won't there be a risk in such experiments? I asked. If such chemicals do exist and you collect them in any quantity, mayn't they have a frightful effect on the human body? Very likely, answered Sherman Hever, but the excitement in his voice proved how little he cared. You see, I'm already dying of a broken heart. When a broken heart where the cesium and thallium have collected in the tissue surrounding my aorta. (laughs) He added, there's always a risk in the unknown. From now on, he grew pale with a dreadful pallor. He lost his appetite. He had trembling fits that made me fear he had caught some tropical fever. I saw him emerge at intervals from the interior of the floating laboratory waving his arms before him as though to push back an insufferable heat. Woo, do not go down there. I did a little chemical separation of my own in the bathroom. (laughs) He paced the white beach, muttering to himself and gesticulating. One day he shouted, I found it at last, the secret of life. I've got the thing that first brought life into existence. I've got it there, out there. He pointed to the floating laboratory. That much of it. He cupped his hands. So, less than a bread basket. And before I'm through, I'll have this much of it. He threw out his arms in a wild gesture that seemed to embrace the entire horizon. Bigger than a bread basket? Okay, we'd better order some more bread baskets then. (laughs) Hello, mainland? We're going to need a shitload of bread baskets. Oh, I'm sorry. Have you never had an order for 40 pallets of bread baskets before? (laughs) I thought I was dealing with professionals. A thrill of horror shot through me. Suddenly I realized the truth of why Sherman Hever was wasting away. Remembered my casual suggestion of that night, forgotten next morning. Something deadlier than poison was devouring him. For loco? (laughs) I seized his arm, tried to prevent him from going out to the boat again. Sherman Hever fought himself loose, and the expression in his eyes as he leaped away told me he was mad, utterly mad. The next week was a nightmare. Sherman Hever, with a cunning of madness, slept on the boat now, fearing I would detain him if he returned to the bungalow. But he came on shore stealthily, and in the moonlight I saw him several times pacing the beach, tottering along in a queer way like a drunken man. Well, I'll tell you and I've had too many Bahamanas. But Bananas, uh, Alabama, Obamas. <laughs> at last, I could stand it no longer. I resolved, even at risk of my own life, to make a trip to the floating laboratory, find out what he was doing there, and bring him forcibly back to shore. I set out one evening in the dusk. As I put foot on the deck of the boat, Sherman Hever emerged from a half hatchway. He was gasping. His eyes were maniacal. But at sight of me, he seemed to pull himself together. With a convulsive effort, he put his hands to his head. And in that instance, I believed he realized he was dying. Turning, he staggered back down the steps into the interior of the vessel, did something to the machinery, then appeared on deck again holding a large platinum dish containing a curious salt that glowed with a pale sea-green phosphorescence. No, it can't be. (laughs) Mermanges? 
Oh, it can be, Alan. It can be. <laughs> no, I thought it was a myth. How did they even? <laughs> they don't have. I don't know. I had one glimpse of this strange substance. Then Sherman Hever had flung the dish into the ocean, which swallowed it, swallowed it with a slight hiss. In one final moment of sanity, Sherman Hever grasped my hand, cried hoarsely, Go! Don't wait a minute! Go back to that shore right away, because this... His nerveless fingers slipped away from mine to indicate the boat we were standing on. Won't be here more than a few seconds! Oh, no. The Philadelphia experiment. I thought we were seeing that Tom Hanks movie. <laughs> then he collapsed on the deck. Dead. An uncontrollable panic seized me in the face of that prostrate body, that dreadful, ominous silence by which I was surrounded, and springing back into the skiff, I rode madly for shore. Scarcely was my foot on land, then there was a roar behind me, and the floating laboratory split apart into burning fragments, which, an instant later, was swallowed by the water. After more than a month of frightful solitude, the yacht returned and carried me back to America. A boat drinks. Boys in the band with a boat drink. A ship, I'm saved! Subsequent developments are known to all. How, one by one, Sherman Hever's plants ceased to function, as though in the chemical magnets there was some vital element corresponding to an electric battery which re needed renewal after a certain number of years, and the secret of restoring this energy had been known only to him. Sir... The cylinder is dead. We've rolled it. We've spun it. We've even shake-weighted it. Nothing works. <laughs> Frantic endeavors are still being made to rediscover Sherman Hever's secrets in order once again to infuse vitality into that great ocean industry which now lies idle. Mm, amber grease. <laughs> mm, amber grease. And most interesting of all to me are the many speculations indulged in by scientists upon the nature of those mysterious elements which caused Sherman Hever's terrible end. Until today, it is generally recognized that Sherman Hever actually did manage to extract from the ocean water in an appreciable quantity. It was that greenish, phosphorescent substance in the platinum dish, undoubtedly. Certain rare but exceedingly complex and powerful chemicals which, millions of years ago, when the earth was all ocean, first brought life into being. Rile Waganagal Fatan. Are we all going to chant? It's up to you. <laughs> I mean, I'm not telling you whether we should do or not, man. It's a personal choice. The end wow real uh real scientific shocker of a tale there there was a lot of science i don't think you can argue that there was science involved nearby co-adjacent to that story 
tons of science slightly off the horizon of that story really just kind of hanging out nearby saying hey what's what's going on over there you cool okay i got science over here yeah i'm good yeah okay we're cool no i mean whatever stay on your end of the bar man no i I don't want to drink okay man look i got a drink right here (laughs) i'm science i'm cool no no like seriously man my friends are going to show up any minute (laughs) so alan what was the moral of that story? Well, I, I read between the very large lines, <laughs> and all I got to say is, how about more Tim Cooks and less Peter Teals? That's, uh... Or, uh, okay, how about more Peter Cooks? <laughs> I, I would love some more Beyond the Fringe. Oh, I would love that. <laughs> I'm looking for that. Um, yeah. I I think the moral is that... Um, you know, if you if you love somebody, set it free. Okay. I uh, so yeah. Anything else to take away from uh, chemical the chemical magnets? Mm, magnets. How do they make stories? <laughs> the answer, they don't. Well, that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Tune in next time for another exciting interrupted. We are considerably. No. Okay, let's go listen to some Beyond the Fringe then. (laughs) Tail!